Good morning and welcome back to Looking Backwards, Looking Forwards. This week, we look back at the Treasury bond auctions of the past week. A week ago at this time, the Treasuries were making the highest levels that they had made in decades. And we were wondering who is going to buy the bonds. Well, at the beginning of the week, we saw the answer after the Israeli-Hamas conflict started on Saturday. The, the flight to safety came in and the bond prices went up as the yields went down, as people rushed into the safety of the long-term U.S. Treasury. Well, there was auctions this week. There was 30-year auctions, and they did not have many people show up to buy the bonds, which is what we have been saying forever is who's going to buy the bonds and at what price? And the answer comes down to the price is going to have to be higher. There was a huge turnaround this week, and then there was a um, large increase after the Treasury auction results were announced on Thursday. It was absolutely um, a tepid response, even though that there was global conflict on the world stage. So we've been harping on this for some time, and you're probably tired of me asking who's going to buy the bonds and at what price. But the fact of the matter remains that while the Fed is doing quantitative tightening and not being the final buyer, last year at this time, they were buying almost half of the U.S. bond market. Now there is no buyer, and you take away the biggest customer for the bonds, and we still haven't figured out who's going to buy these bonds. The Chinese, out. The Japanese, out. There is some flight to safety this last week, but as we saw, that lasted a matter of days. There's just not enough people to buy these at the rates that they were at. So the yields dropped again on Friday after the reversal on Thursday, but I still think that we're going to have trouble selling the U.S. long-term bonds because they're just going to require a higher yield. And if we have a higher yield, how is the Fed going to operate in this situation? Can they continue quantitative tightening? Is somebody going to have to step in and provide yield curve control? Because we can't have six, seven, eight, nine percent long-term bonds while the U.S. is trying to pay interest on thirty-three and a half. Actually, it's over thirty-three and a half now trillion in U.S. debt. So we need to figure this out. And the bond market so far has not given us any clues on what we're where we're going to find this new buyer of long-term U.S. debt. Catherine Porter writes in The Telegraph about the myth of affordable green energy is over. And I want, she's got some wonderful quotes in here as she talks about how poorly a business model, the long-term U.S. and U.K. That offshore wind businesses have been and how the market is simply drying up, draw, drying up and not offering. There's people not even showing up to bid on the leases for these offshore wind farms. And what the reason is these wind farm developers are have a business model and they say, here, we will buy these turbines. Well, the problem is, is the turbines are not being compensated for what it costs in the inflationary costs of those new turbines. Some of them have been locked in on contracts. And what's happening is it's not a proper business model. It doesn't make any sense. And so the wind turbine um, offshore wind farm developers are getting tax credits. 
But unfortunately, the turbines are all losing money. In the U.S., they lost $5 billion just this year. She writes, the market has started to look like, if not like a Ponzi scheme, then like a house of cards built on the shakiest of foundations. Turbine producers are all busily renegotiating contracts and insisting on better terms to stem their losses. Otherwise, they will simply shift to other more profitable activities. We've talked about these um, wind farms um, that are scrapping projects in the Northeast, in the UK, and it seems like this is getting worse and worse. So I think what you're, hap- what you're starting to see is without the government faucet of money pouring into this, it's just not a sustainable technology. She goes on to write, It just won't ever be economic until people realize that despite having operating costs which are close to zero, wind farms need to earn a lot of money to repay their very high capital costs, something policymakers are reluctant to admit because it would mean abandoning the rhetoric of cheap renewables and admitting that renewable energy is actually very expensive. That's not the bill of goods that we've been sold as the, the, the public. What do you mean? I thought renewables were going to be the answer. No, no, no. Here's the real answer. There's a project right now that is being considered to being scrapped in out off the coast of New York. If it is going to go on the And this is a quote from Catherine again. Meanwhile, projects off New York are asking for an average of 48% increase in guaranteed prices that could add $880 billion per year to electricity prices in the state. These cheap renewables, we've been saying for a very long time, are a scam. They're a scam enriching the people that are in the business of selling this technology, building this technology, processing tax credits for this technology, etc. If you think that you're going to pass on a 48% increase in electricity prices so we can have renewable energies, I just don't think this is going to be a feasible business model. And I think you're going to look across this country in the next 10 years, you're going to be see a whole bunch of eyesores of... Uh, wind turbines that are not moving because they're broken old or waiting to be buried off in the the shrub brush of Wyoming and eastern Washington, which is currently happening, being paid for by the government. And what you're going to see is this is a failed project of government interference into private industry. What is the cost to fill up your Tesla or your new EV when your electricity prices are up an average 48%? after they've mandated that everyone needs to get an EV and then they're going to raise the prices on that. I think you're starting to see who's enriching themselves and who's benefiting from this. And it's certainly not going to be the public. It's only the people like, for example, Al Gore that has somehow made a career out of giving speeches and, and fear mongering about the uh, environment. And now all of a sudden he's worth 300, $300 million. And you're like, wait a second, how did he manage to do that when he has no skills whatsoever? Another example of prices about to go up is the Wal- Walgreens pharmacy staff are starting to walk out across the country, alleging poor working conditions that are putting their employees and patients at risk. There's a, there's an article in the uh, Washington post by Jacqueline, uh, Jacqueline Pizer, and she has a great quote in here. 
quote, when you're a pharmacist, a misletter or a number that's wrong in a prescription could kill somebody. Very true. I think the the thing that we need to realize is the pharmacists are going to demand more money, just like the auto workers, just like the Kaiser Permanente healthcare workers, just like UPS. Everybody's needing more money because everybody's struggling. These are pharmacists. These are highly educated professionals, and they feel like they have to organize and demand higher prices. This is really, really interesting that this is just starting to affect blue collar, white collar, fast food workers. Everybody's demanding more money. They're also getting it. That's the important thing is everybody's getting this. They're getting raises. Kaiser Permanente got healthcare raises. Um, the UAW workers have already been offered, I believe, over 20%, and they've turned it down so far, but they're getting these increase in wages. That means that inflation, as we measure it with higher prices, there's more money going to these workers that are going to be spending their money on things, whether it's going to be on discretionary purchases or just the mandatory food, energy, and housing, you know, the three things that the government uh, and Fed uh, officials exclude from the inflation. Um, I don't know whether that will help the inflation story or not, but I think what you're starting to see is the pinch of the American public dealing with the higher prices that the government has put upon us by spending money that they don't have. If we go back to looking forwards, I'm anxious to see what the people in Estonia and Finland tell us about an explosion on their gas pipeline that happened last week. Finnish te telecommunications operator Elisa, which operated the damaged cable, said the damage, the distance from the cable to the Baltic connector pipeline was significant. This, what happened was, is a Baltic connector pipeline, which I believe um, stretched from um, Estonia to Finland, uh, under the Baltic Sea, somehow the gas pipeline was destroyed. And this cable that they were talking about um, is a communication cable that might have been collateral damage. So it's very interesting when you see that the distance was significant, but Norwegian Seismology Institute Norsar said on Tuesday it had identified a probable explosion close to the location of the pipeline around the time of the outage. So we're seeing another pipeline blow up. Now, this is not as big as the Nord Stream one that we discussed last year, but it's very interesting in that about 5% of uh, Finnish gas does come from this. European gas prices rose following the news, and the U.S. Uh, natural gas prices uh, from the twos are now in the threes, the mid-threes, and I think we're about to find out that winter's coming, and we need to keep a very close eye on the European natural gas situation because they have filled up the tanks and whatnot, but any of these things that are the base load that they are able to import. Any of these that have been removed are going to put and strain the current stores of natural gas that they have in the region. Moving on from one terrorist attack to another, the Hamas terrorist attack on the people of Israel on Saturday has 
prompted the U.S. and Qatar to block Iran from getting $6 billion in hostage exchange money following the Hamas attack on Israel as Biden punishes the Tehran regime for supporting the terror group. There are so many things wrong with this statement, it's incredible. First of all, if we made a commitment to give them $6 billion for hostage exchange and then we simply take the money back, in the world stage, how can anybody trust the word of the United States right now after what we did with Russia and stealing or basically stealing their foreign reserves, kicking them out of the SWIFT system because we disagreed with what they saw as an intrusion towards their border by NATO and Ukraine? We can't just take people's money that we've already agreed to give. Like this is we're just being disingenuous on the world stage. We've talked about the BRICS and why the BRICS are even considering offering a new currency. It's because nobody can trust the U.S. You're seeing this in the bond auctions. No one can trust the U.S. And the trust is the only damn thing that's holding our currency and our bond market together, right? It's, it's fiat money is based on the trust, the full faith and credit of the United States. Instead of in God we trust, which is on the front of the coin, we're trying to put in the full faith and credit of the United States. Well, we're destroying our credit every single time he does something like this. Now, we've known that Iran has backed Hamas for a very, very long time. This is nothing new. So for them to do this, when Iran said we had nothing to do with this, now whether that's true or not, it's debatable perhaps, but the fact that we're doing this and we're basically breaking our word yet again on the foreign stage, I think this is only going to speed up all of these de-dollarization efforts we've seen worldwide. And I also think that it's absolutely ruining the credibility of Joe Biden. I just don't think anybody is going to trust him. When Chairman Xi meets with him next month, Chairman Xi should be like, this guy, you know, he'll he'll blow wherever the political winds tell him to. And any contract you make with this guy, can't trust it. So why would anybody trust us to do any contracts, any agreements, any pacts, anything? We are unreliable. And that's very unfortunate. We've talked on this program for over a year now. We've mentioned that Kathy Wood and Elon Musk and Jeffrey Gunlock and billionaire Barry Sternlicht have all came out saying the Fed needs to stop raising rates. The Fed doesn't know what it's doing. They'll never get to four and a half, five percent. The bond market is in control. All the while, our Jedi, Jerome Powell, has been raising interest rates and holding them, raising interest rates and holding them and doing exactly what he said he was going to do. Well, now we have the National Association of Home Builders, the Mortgage Bankers Association, and the National Association of Realtors wrote a letter to, con quote, to convey profound concern shared among our collective memberships that ongoing market uncertainty about the Fed's rate path is contributing to recent interest rate hikes and volatility, end quote. The market might be uncertain about the Fed's rate path, but you shouldn't be if you've listened to what Chair Powell has been saying. He's, he has not said that we're done raising rates. He said that he is going to keep higher for longer. And what's happening is the long end of the bond market is starting to listen. That's what was going up until this last week when we had the uh, flight to safety over the global uncertainty 
and the geopolitical risk. But we are going up at the long end. Mortgage rates are approaching 8%. That has slowed down the housing activity, and that's why the National Association of Realtors is interested, because their realtors are doing very, very, very few transactions. And what you're starting to see is the slowdown in the housing market. It's affecting realtors. The realtors do less transactions. Then you move on to nobody can afford to buy houses with a 7.8% mortgage. So all of these houses that have went up 30, 40, 50, 70, 80% in the last two, three years because of the easy money and the helicopter money that the government gave, well, that spigot has been turned off. So we're seeing slower transaction growth. We're seeing no new stimulus coming out of Washington. We have no Speaker of the House currently that can even bring a vote on new policy into the uh, to Congress so we can pass and give more money back to the people to spend money on things. And what you're going to see is a sell-off in the home markets. And that's what everybody's concerned about. The Mortgage Bankers Association, you can bet they're uncertain because right now it's a desert. The, their business has dried up. The National Association of Home Builders, they've been offering buy-downs for the last six, eight, 12 months that are basically saying, here, we'll make your interest rate instead of 7.8%. We're going to make it 5% for the first two years and then 6% after that. Well, those are nothing more than basically variable rate mortgages. And when those kick in and those, those home buyers have to actually pay the real interest that they're going to have to pay, we're going to have another problem like we had 2007 with adjustable rate mortgages. The home builders are having to do that to move their inventory because if they didn't, the people couldn't afford the 7.8% mortgage and they wouldn't be able to move these vast inventories of new homes. So what you're seeing is a very, very slow constricting squeeze on the housing market. And what's happening is they're now begging, they're begging Chair Powell, please, we need to have lower rates so we can refinance, so we can lower these, so we can get some activity, so we can do some transactions. But he can't. Inflation has went up the last three months. If he turns and starts lowering interest rates now, he, like Joe Biden, is going to lose the credibility that he has worked very hard to get after the whole debacle of inflation is transitory. And now they've worked to try to get their credibility back. If they pivot here, it's, they're going to lose the credibility. If they don't pivot, the housing market is in big trouble. The housing market's in big trouble. This follows on the heels that the commercial real estate is in big trouble, both of which major markets are held by U.S. banks, which are already in trouble because of their mismatch on their bond volatility. They're holding long-term bonds that are only going up at the long end, which makes the bonds go down and are worth less. This is a triple whammy for banks. This is a double whammy for the home builders with the um, higher rates that they're being forced and then the adjustable rate mortgages because when the adjustable rate mortgages kick in, people are not going to be able to form the, afford these homes that they bought with the idea that they could refinance in a couple years. So if they can't afford these homes, they're probably going to have to put them back on the market. A one or two year new home is a very strong source of competition for new homes that the home builders are sitting on. We need to keep a very, very close eye on the housing market. It could be the canary in the coal mine to show us that when this 
stress that we've all been anticipating is going to actually hit the broader economy. Thank you for listening this week. As always, all the links to the articles are found at cthomasprinter.com, our website. And remember to be safe out there, regardless of your nationality. Thank you.